Good morning. We're going to just, uh, just continue today. We're on part four of the series, Storyteller. And we're exploring the parables of Jesus. And now, parables are short stories that point to the reality beyond themselves, challenging us, the hearer, to consider and respond in light of God's reality. He's going to reveal something to us. Today, I don't know what you're going through or what you're thinking, but I know that God wants to reveal something to us through his word. Just something that, that's going to set you free. Something that's going to just like open up the spirit of God in your life, in my life. So today I want us to read this, but I want us to move past the surface into a deeper way of being human, human like Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please go to Matthew 7. All right. We're going to a very popular verse here. And uh, many of us have used this verse, uh, but I'm going to give you some backstory of Jesus, and then we're going to go right in. Also, there's a couple things going on. You're going to hear it in the announcements. Next week is the end of summer potluck, and the newcomer's lunch is today. So if you want to uh, meet and meet some people, please come after this. Uh, there's some information in your program. But Jesus is speaking Sermon on the Mount today. And, and he's just speaking about God saving us, that there is a kingdom beyond this kingdom, that there's something that comes alive in us when we start walking with God, a new life, he calls it, to be born again and, and, and dealing with the sinfulness of our hearts that lead to authentic devotion to God which we would think would be, mean that we, we get entrapped, but it actually means that there's more fulfillment to our lives. There's more depths when we walk into the knowledge of God. And now Jesus is speaking to two groups here. Say two groups. And all of us, we fall in one of these groups, all right? All of us, we do. The first group, it, 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 it's the people stuck in religion or irreligion. We lean one way more or the other way more, right? And first, I want to talk about the over-religious. I even, call, I, I even heard it said, someone say, over-saved. They're over-saved. I'm like, what, what does that mean? But the Bible says it's the people who study God's law, and they love God's law, which is incredible. They follow it to the letter of the law, yet their prudence leads to pride instead of humility, right? And, 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 and it begins, they begin to believe they are God's gift to other people. Like, this is, here. Thank you. <laughs> You're good. But they begin to believe that they're God's answer to everyone else. They have the answer for everyone, right? And, and it's a rules righteousness that leads many of us, me included, this is probably the, I used to fall in the other way, but I'm more on this side. It leads me sometimes, many times into legalism and judgmentalism. Like if I, when I'm doing good for God, then God likes me, right? Like, oh, okay. But when I'm doing bad for God, I'm like, oh, I just, I start to dwindle myself in, in a relationship based on my righteousness, right? A self-righteousness. Say self-righteousness. Think about that word. It's a self-righteousness. And it means that we lift self up over others, right? Telling people how sh it should be done. I'm the expert of the law, right? I'm the voice of God for you today. And, and a lot of times when we become self-righteous, we become goalies of the kingdom of God. We tell people, you're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You're not doing good, but this is how you do it. Follow me, right? And then there's the other side. And, and many of us are on this side. 
the irreligious, people whose number one driver is my rights, right? My rights. Don't, don't tread on my rights, right? Don't tell me what to do, how to live, how to worship. And because we worship our personal freedoms over God. Because ultimately, God wants me to be happy. I've heard this so many times. Uh, God wants me to be happy, right? And I'm like, uh, right? There's more to that. If you knew what would make you happy, you would do that right away. But now you're going on. I won't go down this lane. But that's the ultimate freedom, my personal freedoms. Yet these very freedoms can lead, up, lead us to captivity. Sins we thought we could handle. Think about this. Now have control of our lives, separating us from God and the people we love most. Just like the first group, they have a self-righteousness, but in a different way. And here Jesus is showing us a greater way and God's way to live. And with that in mind, we are going to read our scripture. Uh, it says in Matthew 7, 1 to 6, it says, Do not judge. We love that. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Right? Why do you look at that? Why do you look at that? Let me take that out of your eye. Right? That's what we say. And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye, to the log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck, right, out of your eye, all the while the plank is in your eye? Jesus, no, verse 5, he says, you hypocrite, you actor, you fake. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Think about that for a moment. I want that to really just settle in for a moment. Do not judge. Say, do not judge. That's right. And it's probably the most popular scripture that we hear, right? Do, don't judge me. Do not judge, right? Well, I, I, it, it's, you're going to see it right up there. We hear it quoted all the time on TV, on the internet. Tupac says it, right? Only God can judge me. Right? It's quoted, I, I was here listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, it was quoted there, quoted by non-Jesus followers and by believers telling other believers, don't judge me of what I'm doing. This is between me and God. This is what I'm doing. Don't judge me, right? And honestly, this verse is great. You're like, man, that's great, right? Don't criticize me. Don't tell me what to do. Only God can judge me. But then we get to verse 6, right? We get this sound. Like, do not judge. That sounds great. Thank you, Tupac. Right? It sounds great. Then we get to verse 6. Then Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. What? Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Did you catch that? It says, do not judge. And then Jesus immediately calls people dogs and pigs. You're like, sounds judgy, Jesus. Right? I wouldn't go there, Jesus. Like, sounds judgy. You can't tell. It sounds inappropriate, like BTW, right? Offensive. So then what is Jesus actually saying here when he's saying, do not judge, and then he's saying, talks about dogs and pigs right at the end, and uh, not judging when, it's, when he sounds like he's judging, right? And, 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 and obviously, Jesus can't mean never judge, because that's what he did in most of, uh, like, his teachings, right? Jesus judged 
a lot in his ministry. He said, go and sin no more. Sounds judgy, Jesus. Sounds judgy, right? Then he says, get thee behind me, Satan. He says, repent. He says, go the other way unless you really want to mess up your life. John 7, 7 says, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus is telling people, your works are evil. He's judging you. So then what did Jesus mean in this parable? And what is he trying to convey to the hearers back then and convey to the hearers today? See, people try to speak on the behalf of God here all the while far from God. So Jesus is talking to two areas, bad behavior and bad judgment, right? Bad judgment. Are we talking on behalf of God when we're far from God or we don't understand what God's trying to do, so we're trying to use God's word to fit in our life, not understanding the heart of God? And so first, bad judgment means condemnation. Condemnation. We judge ourselves, and this is so funny, and I know we all do this. We judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge others by their actions. Isn't that true? Like we say, you know, I didn't mean to do that. If you really understood what I meant, you would, you would understand. But by others, we're like, you are pure evil. How dare you say that against me? But, 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 no, there's no buts. There's no buts. So we judge others. We judge ourselves by our intentions, and we judge others by their actions. We rationalize what we do, and we call other people malicious and evil. So we condemn and we write people off, right? Forget them. How many times have you heard that? You just have to forget them. You just need to cut them out of your life. I mean, it sounds just like Jesus. Just cut them out of your life. There's no going after the 99. I mean, leaving the 99, going after the one. Just cut everyone out of your life and get in a closed circle of people that all agree with you so you don't need to cut anyone else out of your life. It doesn't sound like that's what he's calling us to, right? See, that is a life. He's telling us if you're going to judge, you better have good judgment. And you better not walk in this condemnation, writing people off, diminishing people of their imago Dei, which means the image of God, that they were created in the image of God, and that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died on the cross for them. This is the beginning of great judgment. How many times have we played God judge and jury this is what they meant to me how how many times have we not said anything when we were hurt right anyone all of us all of us right oh they they even if i told them they 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 meant that on purpose then you talk to them they're like i am going through the hardest time in my life and i'm saying idiot things all the time right now i was telling my son this morning because uh my wife yelled at my son and then i yelled at my son this morning and he was like man that really hurt and I was like, I am, I, it's your mom's fault. <laughs> she enjoyed it. She, had to, she knows my son. But I was like, no, I didn't say that. I am like, I am so sorry. I, she was like, why, why? He said to me, why is your judgment so unfair this morning? And I was like, he's like, you treat Sianna a certain way, and then you treat me this way. And I was like, you're absolutely right. You are 100% right. You know why? Because my judgment, I told him straight up, my judgment is not always fair. Sometimes I condemn wrongly because of how emotional I am, and we had a beautiful conversation. See, Jesus, this is what he says to us after he says, God sent his only son 
right? He so loved us. He sent his only son and, and, and to die for us so that we could be born again. Then, and, and then all of John chapter 3 is about Jesus trying to bring new life into us. Then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world may be saved through him. Listen, not condemning doesn't mean not speaking truth. I want to say that just, just straight up. Condemning means casting people aside and dealing with people transactionally. See, I, one of my favorite writers, and you hear quotes by him all the time, his name is Tim Keller, and he's writing about marriage relationship. And this is what he writes in his book, Meaning of Marriage. He says this, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but it keeps us denial about our flaws, right? Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. And I love this part. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling and rest in God's mercy and grace. To rest in God's mercy and grace. Jesus did not only speak truth, he then spoke grace and brought us close, right? He made sinners into friends. He made you and me into friends. Then he laid down his life for us. So to follow Jesus means when we speak truth, we better follow up with grace. And some of us, we lean very truth, right? And we are like, eh, they need a little bit of grace. And then we, then we go to God, God, please forgive me. We want a lot, a bit from God, but we give a little bit. And that's just, sometimes that's our personality. And others of us, we're so grace, we allow others to really hurt themselves deeply, but we don't want to say anything, Right? And, and, and you have to understand that our certain personalities lean a certain way, and you got to know our weaknesses and our strengths, right? But Jesus spoke in both fullness of grace and truth. Fullness of it, not 50-50, fullness of both, right? That's a beautiful thing to really meditate on. So he didn't do like just drive-by shootings of, gra- of, of truth, like boom, 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 I'm gone out of your life. No, he never, he didn't do that. He didn't drop people. So bad judgment, does, it, it doesn't mean condemnation. Bad judging means forgetting our own mess. And I'm just repeating what I just said. See, in Matthew 7, 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Do you guys notice something on my face a little bit? Yeah? Isn't that weird? Like the whole time, you're probably not even listening to me. The, the whole time you're like, is that dude wearing makeup up there? Maybe I am. Maybe I am, right? I was, like, I was like, is this really on me? But there's sometimes we, it's, we can see things on other people, but it's hard to see the mess in our, eye, our own eye. Verse Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the 10-foot log in your own eye? So the plank, this is a plank of wood, right? We build stuff out of it. Can you imagine if this was sticking out of my face? And I was like, man. You got, a, uh, you got something on your shoulder right there, <laughs> right? Can you imagine if this was just like, I was walking around. It's hard. It's heavy. That's why. I was like, get out of my way. Get out of my way, right? Uh, Tina, there's something on your face, on your beard. I would cut that beard because there's food in it all the time. Can you imagine how, like, weird that would be? 
And Jesus is, that's how he's explaining this parable because he's saying, he's saying there's so much that everyone can see in your life and you're sitting there telling people, look at that dust on your life. Look at that dust on your shoulder. How dare you do that, right? Just imagine that. What hypocrisy. Because it's so easy to maximize the sins and mistakes of others while minimizing the mistakes of ourselves. It's easy. That's our natural inclination. It really is. That's our natural inclination. Jesus says, take a look in the mirror first. Now, what about us? What about you? What about me? Here's some ways. I'm going to maybe just call some things out on us. Do you ever text and drive and get mad at other people texting and driving? And, right? Are you ever, like, lazy and then you call millennials lazy? Right? Yeah, you're like, oh, pfft. so lazy. You're, you're saying that as you're eating, like, a Subway sandwich on your couch. Right? So lazy. Have you ever gotten mad at gossip over your life as you're gossiping about the person who gossiped about you? Right? It's crazy. We, we can get that crazy. I like to tell my kids, get off electronics as I'm watching the TV. And I'm like, oh, you sound, you sound horrible. Get off the electronics right now. Right? And I'm watching ESPN. Have you ever talked about respecting and honoring, treating women or men with respect, and then on TV you watch them as sex objects? On your phone, sex objects. On the internet, or at the club, or at the bar. Something you would never want done to your wife or your future wife, or your daughter, or your son, but we do it. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm going to get a little deeper. Do you know where in our country is most religious, wet section? It's called the Bible, the Bible Bell, right? Do you know who consumes the most porn in our country? The Bible Bell. Think about that for a moment. I was like, man, it's not good. Mississippi's number one, Candace. Congratulations. <laughs> I was just like, this is horrible. Do we complain about the very things that hit home the deepest? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> She's from Mississippi, that's why. Not because she consumes a ton of porn. <laughs> See, if you knew us, never mind. Take that out. Take that out of the video. <laughs> But I was thinking, do we complain about the lack of charity in others when we are not charitable? Have you ever, have you ever said, man, if I won the lotto, I was, we were talking about it the other day with Franco and Heidi, if I won the lotto, what's the first thing you do? You're, all these good things, right? I wish these rich people would do good things. Then I'm like thinking to myself, why don't you do it now? Why don't I do these things that I talk about now, Right? Because wherever you are, there you are. Just because things change in your life, if your character doesn't change, if your heart doesn't change, you will not be different when you get there. You just will not be. See? Be generous now. Care for people now. Mentor people now. Have you ever begged, like, man, I wish someone would mentor me? Mentor people now. I was talking to someone even this week. The fatherless need to learn how to be fathers, even though we don't know how to be fathers. Or we're going to create another generation of the fatherless and then complain about why they're fatherless. It, and, and so we who don't know how to do it need to step up, right? Even though we're not good at it, we need to learn how to do it. Jesus is confronting our sinfulness, our own darkness, the logjam in our eye, because no one lies to us more than we do. 
See, Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, there is no one righteous. And I want to tell that to this room. There is no one righteous. There's not even one. There is no one who understands God. There's no one who's good. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and they have together become worthless in their own, just talking about their righteousness. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is all of us. Left to ourselves, we will lead ourselves down to intense, like just heartache, to condemnation. Sin is like a sickness. It's like a, a, vi a virus. No matter how much we try to deal with the symptoms, they will not subside. They can hide for a while. Your anger can hide for a while, right? Have you ever, like, had a, a, you're just, you know, you, oh, okay, I dealt with it. I pushed the, have you ever pushed a, um, um, a balloon down into the water. Have you ever done that? You filled like an air-filled ball or something, and you fill, pushed it down into the water, right? And you can push it way down this beach ball, way into the water, right? And you're like, okay, I'm dealing with it. But right when you don't notice, what happens when you don't notice? Boom, right? It explodes out of the water. I feel like sometimes that's what we do with our sins. We bury it deep, and we keep on pushing it into the water. But right when we don't think about it, guess what happens? It explodes out of our life. You can't just deal with the symptoms. You got to deal with the human heart, the brokenness of humanity. You can't just deal with the symptoms. You got to deal with the disease. And that's what Jesus came to say. We in this room, all of us are in need of a savior. We are. We are. This is offensive to many. You're like, nope, nope, I got this, right? Jesus is offensive to many. People killed Jesus not because he was likable. People killed Jesus because he was offensive. He was offensive. His message said, you can't do it. You can't. You can't overcome sin. You tried. You, it will continue to uh, infect your life. You, you can't get to God on your own. Your goodness can't save you. Your sin will catch up to you. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. And we, when we are the problem, we have to go to someone outside ourselves to save us. And that's what he's saying. And so it says this, the gospel is neither religion or irreligion. It is something else altogether. Religion makes law and moral obedience a means of salvation, while irreligion makes the individual law to self. But the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, is that Jesus pays the penalty of disobedience so that we can be saved by grace, so we can be right with God, so that our hearts can be healed, our minds can be healed. That's the good news of the gospel. When you can't, he can when you can't, he can. Our past sins are forgiven. That's grace, and we're called to holiness. Don't stay there. Christians, do not stay there. We have to continue to mature because we're going to always need grace, and we're going to need to pursue truth and holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. And you can't be holy on your own. You can only be holy when you continue to fall back into God's grace. You always start from the gospel. Your judgment starts from the gospel. Your parenting starts from the gospel. That your heart and your life has been saved by God. And then it makes everything so beautiful. If God could save me, if God can love me, knowing my own darkness, then I can treat my son, I can treat my daughter, I can treat my enemy with grace and with truth. Because that has been given to me. That is the gospel.
So here's the checkup for us. How do you know if you're judging and have forgotten the gospel? Number one, you're more mad at someone else's sin than you're embarrassed of your own. Right? Yeah, you're like, look at them. Look at them. At least, have you ever said, at least we're not like that? Yeah. That means we have forgotten that we are like that. <laughs> the lack of self-awareness. I, I swear, the lack of self-awareness in our lives, in my life, I'm not, is, it can be so alarming sometimes. We can't see our own darkness. We need to see it in light of God's word. How do you know you're walking in darkness unless you see it in light of God's word, right? Number two, you fail to forgive. You say, have you ever heard, I forgive, but I don't forget. That just means I'm going to hang this over your head forever, right? And I, I, I know these words because I say these words. I'm like, I can't forget. And then what I really mean is I don't really forgive you. But forgiveness means, it doesn't mean forgetting because many of us, we can't forget. It means we look in light of the gospel when we look at people, and we choose to continually work through this. Forgiveness is one time and then a billion times after. It really is. And it's what it's doing, it's, it's creating something stronger in you, a love that's stronger in you. Number three, you, can't, you, you cut people off you disagree with, right? I talked about that earlier. You're like, you don't agree with me? You don't line up with me? done, you're gone. Done, you're gone. Number four, you refuse to receive correction, right? And the older we get, the more we fall in line with this. We're like, I know better than you. And we might not say that, but we live that. And number five, you gossip. And you're like, I don't gossip. They just have been gossiping about me, and they're trash, right? We gossip. Be careful. When the gospel does not lead your heart, falling into a logjam is inevitable. Being blinded by our own sin is inevitable. Getting bitter is inevitable. The older we get, that we either, if, the older, as, as time progresses and we walk with Christ, we either get more humble or we get more bitter. We get more humble as we let the gospel really marinate our hearts. And then we get more bitter if we start overriding the gospel with what we think is better. I'm telling you, there is a sweet surrender to Jesus. Even in this room, I'm calling you to sweet surrender. Surrender doesn't sound sweet, but I'm telling you, the kind of surrender Jesus calls us to, it might seem strong because it's truth. It has to be strong because the sin in our life is strong. But as we walk with Jesus, it's going to be sweet. The freedoms that you experience with Jesus is the sweet freedoms of life. The, the, the love that we experience with Jesus is the sweet love that we are looking for, that we need. So be careful how we judge. Be careful being legalistic or falling onto the other side of legalism, being about my personal freedom only, who thinks the gospel is for others but not for me. Now this passage ends, and you guys probably want me to get here. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces, right? It doesn't, so it's not saying write people off who don't agree with you. No, Jesus is giving us instructions how to engage with people who don't agree with you. And yes, he's being harsh. 
He's, a, he's using terms that the people back then understand. They understand agriculture. They understand woodworking. They understand this, right? And they're saying some people will not recognize that you are trying to give them a treasure. But it does not mean that you hold back the treasure of the gospel. If, we, if God has changed our lives and, and then we can't go forth with what God has done, then we still have not understood the gospel. And, and, and like a pig with a pearl, it, the pig does not understand the pearl, Right? Like, we understand the value of jewelry, but a pig does not, right? And sometimes people will not understand the value of what you're trying to do. But it doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean back away. It means these things first. How do we apply this first? Be praying. Only God can change someone's heart. And we are not God. Prayer gives us a merciful and charitable heart. The goal is not winning people, right? The goal is the soul, saving the soul. The goal is Jesus saving the soul, and only God can do that. I'm telling you, you cannot convince people to follow Jesus. If you can convince them, someone else will not convince them. You have, there has to be an experience of God, a move of God, an enlightenment of God. Have you ever been in a service and it felt like I'm just speaking right to you? See, that is God's spirit speaking to you. And something after that starts to come alive in you. That's the spirit of God where truth meets grace and the gospel takes root and it starts coming alive in us. I want you to experience God's spirit in that way where grace meets truth. And it comes and it roots deep and it comes through prayer. Number two, second, be sensitive. Know your audience. Know what they can handle. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to be angry. Talk less and listen more. Third, be patient. Stop being so offended so quickly. Love means, and I mean this, taking on someone else's burden. That's what love means. Love means enduring and suffering, carrying people for a time. I I don't mean forever. There still needs to be truth, but the grace precedes that. And fourth, no, you are not the Savior. You cannot save them. This is where I fail constantly. People know. People know me. I, I think that I can change someone. I can save someone. I can't. I try my best, and then I will, I will hurt myself and hurt others in the process of trying to save them because we try to be Savior, right? We try to save people. We can't save people. We can't save people in addiction. Have you tried? Right? We've tried right? No, you, we need to be in prayer. We need to be sensitive. We need to be patient. And then we point to Jesus. There's freedom in Christ. Give them Jesus. Know that it's, it might even sound crazy to them, but man, know the treasure of the gospel that you're holding. That's what they need. They don't need uh, just cycle babble. They need Jesus. They do. They need freedom. And in closing today, here is the wisdom and warning for all of us today in closing. Be careful how you judge others. Because soon enough, you might find yourself in the same mess. Be careful. I was listening to Stephen Furtick, and he said it this way, and I liked it. Be careful how you judge at their low moments. You might be judging someone right now for the battle you might begin to fight next month. I was like, ooh. When you judge people in depression, have you ever done that? Like, why are they that way? Why Why are they acting that way? Why are they pushing me away? Why are they so emotional? How can they continue to deal with that same issue? Or have you ever responded to people who are going through a divorce or a breakup? What are they thinking? I can't believe they're acting like that. 
right? Or when you hear of people's addictions, it's easy to think that will never happen to me. Have you ever said that will never happen to me, then it happened to you, right? Definitely. That's me, right? Be very careful how you judge. Your life might look like Instagram right now with filters. It looks awesome, right? The Hawaiian filter, I always like that one. But you never know when your life is going to look like an episode of Dr. Phil <laughs> at some point. We might judge people in the areas that we currently don't struggle with, but be careful because it might come to our house tomorrow. Christians, right at the end, lead with the gospel. Lead with the love of Jesus. Lead with knowing that you are the first recipient of that. You first. Let God save you. And then don't stop there. Don't stop there. Even when you're, it's a little messy, keep on moving forward. Get equipped with the love of God. And then in the morning, get equipped with the love of God. And in the morning, get equipped with the love of God. Every morning, know that you are in need of the grace of God. I believe Christians need the grace of God more than non-Christians because they know the truth. That's right. Be equipped with the love of God. I love this last part in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just close your eyes for a moment. And the guys will start coming forward and they're going to pass things out. Yeah. Aim for restoration. I love those words. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Live in peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you. Heavenly Father, there's some of us today, Lord God, we have been walking in the wrong kind of judgment, Lord. And we might lean one side or the other, Lord God, to be over-religious or over-irreligious and defending my personal freedoms first, Lord God, instead of what you have done for us on the cross. If you're in this room, just take a moment. Where do you fall in that, what Jesus is talking about today? Are we ones to gossip? Are we ones to condemn? Do we judge ourselves with intention and judge others with their actions? And we can't give the same grace. That means we don't understand the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. I pray right now in the name of Jesus in this room that we would have the revelation of the cross. And for some, that means how deep our sin, Lord, has hurt God. And for others, it means how deep God's love has set us free. It's both and. I pray that message of the gospel would speak to us right now in the name of Jesus. If you're in this room and truth and grace has met you today, 
I'm speaking and the words that I'm speaking is starting to come alive in your spirit like it has never done before and God is speaking to you right now and he's saying come to me if you're weary and heavy burden I will give you rest I will give you peace I will give you what you've been really looking for and if you're in this room and you've never made Jesus your Savior and your Lord and you're here today please just just raise your hands I just want to pray for you anyone here who just needs to make a commitment towards Jesus today anyone thank you thank you Heavenly Father I pray for the hand that was raised today all of heaven is throwing a party right now all of heaven is joyful lord for that one person where truth and grace met lord god and your spirit filled it lord god i just pray lord god that we would be join them let's give god praise give god praise and and if you gave your life to jesus today meet us in the welcome center let us pray for you let us tell you some next steps get into growth track we want you to continue your relationship with god today alan's going to come up and we're going to take communion together good morning as the guys pass this out sorry i'm not nearly as loud as john just want to remind us that this we do is more than a tradition. It's, it's a tradition that's 2,500 years old. People started this 500 years before Jesus ever came. And they did, they did use the bread because they knew the bread of life was what sustained them. They used the, the wine because of the wrath of God that they knew would, would eventually come. And they, and they did it as they knew that they had received parcel redemption. God had delivered them from Pharaoh, from Egypt, but they, every Friday they would eat the bread and drink the wine, hoping for that future redemption when the Messiah would come. And after 500 years, their prayers were answered. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm here. And then they, and they didn't even know, every, every time they would break the bread over and over, they were it was foreshadowing uh, his body being broken. And that, that wrath of God that they would drink, they didn't realize it was going to be poured out on him and not them. So now 2,000 years later, we, we technically have it easy. We, we don't have to hope for a future redemption. We have it. We have that redemption. All you have to do is accept it. Raise your hand. Yes, uh, I, I accept you. You are, you are my Lord and Savior. That's how you started. That's all it takes. Um, just remember that this isn't just some liturgical thing we do for, you know, because we're a religion. This is something that predates um, our own religion. It predates Christianity. This is, this is the fulfillment. This is why we live. And if everyone has it now, um, they would always break the bread. Whoever sat at the head of the house would take the loaf, break it in half. Uh, start that way and then pass the loaves around everyone break off their peace because his body was broken for each each and every one of us he didn't just die as a group he died he didn't die for people he died for every individual every individual that was born or will be born he died for them his body was broken for for them whether or not we accept him or not he died for us 
So now let's take the bread and let's, let's break it. Remembering that his body was broken for us. He told his disciples that this is my body. It's broken for you. I am the bread of life. Let's take the bread. After that, he would, they would take the wine. Before Jesus, they would hope for that, that in the, when the wrath was poured out, God would remember mercy. And when the wrath of God was poured out, he did remember mercy, which is why, why we can believe what we believe, why we can do what we do, Lord. This was, represents his blood. This is the cup of the new covenant in him. Let's all take the wine. Ushers, if you want to go ahead and bring uh, the baskets. Father God, we thank you that we can come in freedom and celebrate in communion, Lord. Celebrate what you did for us so that we never forget. We need to always do this so that we we never forget you died for us. You were the hope, and now you are the the current. You are our Savior. You are our Messiah. In Jesus' name. Now we're going to take the offering and then do a few announcements. As we take the offering, you can go ahead and start. We'll do a couple announcements as we pass it and then uh, close in prayer. Uh, Coming up September 1st, Labor Day, instead of a regular service, we're going to have a a potluck right here at the church. Uh, So come accordingly, bring your sunglasses, bring sunscreen, bring uh, a chair, bring anything you want. Uh, Get on the Hill City Church Facebook page. uh, You can tell based on your last name what kind of food, drink, or dessert, whatever to bring. Uh, and it's in a great, great time of fellowship. Come at the same time as normal, and we'll, we'll stay as uh, late as the lettuce. Uh, September 8th is going to be the first growth track. If you don't know what that is, there's be uh, talk to Mark and Julie. They'll have a table in the back, get you signed up. No, they're not going to have a table in the back. But it starts on the 8th. Okay. <laughs> if you'd like to talk about future growth tracks, still talk to, to Mark and Julie. Uh, September 15th, uh, water baptisms. It's, we're going to start at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning with a class. Kind of go over what you're doing, make sure you understand the commitment you're making. Uh, and then later on during the service, we'll have, have that. If you want more info or you want to sign up to be baptized, uh, just email us at info at myhillcity.org. Um, also check with uh, anyone with a hello shirt in the back. All right, let's close this down in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you in freedom, Lord. We can come here of our own free will um, and worship you, Lord. Help us to never forget, Lord, that you are our Savior. Uh, We should not judge but be truthful. As John just said, Lord, we need to help one another. We weren't designed to do this alone. I ask you to bless us uh, the rest of our day and all of our travels. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.